time to talk music, audio gear, and anything else that crosses our minds. I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. And welcome to the Hatton Audio Podcast. So, I think today we're going to have a discussion on just game soundtracks in general and how they influence people. Because obviously all music is music, no matter what medium it's on, be it film soundtrack, game soundtrack, CD, audio... It's all just music, isn't it? At the end of the day, when you strip the media out of it. Well, the thing, the thing I think is we talk about sometimes is repetitiveness. Like certain songs, particularly songs on radio, are drilled into you because they're on a, the A playlist or whatever it is. Yeah, and they have to play them like six times a day or whatever, or six times now, whatever the radio station does. And what's more drilling than playing a game, say a game like Tekken? Yeah, and you are stuck on a certain fight or certain stage or yeah. you just love the the menu music you play it every day you're always boot up and have to sit through the menu cutscene and you know Tekken Tag Tournament 2 yeah, has yeah. one of the best opening sequences yeah, for music it, I think that you can the, even listen Tekken to Tekken Tag Tournament piano intro massive version basically <laughs> and it is um the title matches. <laughs> the, it's just the most hyped thing you can listen to. I feel like, you know, there's a lot of hyped game intros and, and just soundtracks in general, but this really does take the, the cake for just excess and hype, you know. It just, you're ready to go, aren't you, when you listen to the massive intro. Yeah, yeah, it gets you going. And the other thing is, as well, is that if you play these games at, like, a young age, I think, like, a lot of people do, that sort of makes a permanent imprint in your brain and a lot of the genres used in video games are wildly different to that of commercial music because a lot of the time you know it's hard to get I mean I think this is something that's changed recently but it's hard to get major label acts to do sync deals on games particularly in the past when gaming wasn't as culturally relevant as it is now yeah, yeah. So yeah. a lot of the soundtracks in particularly like early games, like I'm talking anything like PS2 and before and, you know, the Xbox and Nintendo equivalents are sort of really off the wall, not often electronic. And before the PlayStation 1, they, they couldn't actually put CD audio in a game. That was the yes. first console where they could actually put CD audio in a game, which is why games like Wipeout 3 were like the first games to have a actual like not, game soundtrack you know like actual music artists yeah because previously if you're unaware they would have to use the the console's inbuilt sound card yeah. and the score would be provided in midi something that any music producer should be um familiar with and basically it's sort of just play that sound card via midi per level so there would be no audio and that's how like the game boys and stuff worked yeah, yeah. for a really long time after the technology got better yeah, and you're basically, if you as a composer for those, you are, you're limited by the technology. And basically yeah. now, obviously, you just drop an audio file and you can do whatever you want for the soundtrack. You just drop it into the game files and it's it's a lot easier. Even know? on the handheld consoles. Like I think when, when the new Pokemon's uh, soundtrack was like audio and not like that sound card MIDI situation, like it wasn't so many of the Game Boy games, it was like, whoa... Yeah that's, yeah, that's that's very different yeah. compared to what you know you got used to. Yeah, because you you expect a certain thing with a lot of these games, and obviously the breakout of it. Now, the interesting thing is we're starting to see an immersion of different genres 
influenced by retro gaming because there's Nintendo Core. That's yes. a massive thing. Um, I wasn't a Nintendo uh, child. We didn't really have. We had on and off Nintendo, but not on and off, but not not enough to really get into like the you know, the old school ones. Like you also GameCube. have on a familiar tangent, Outrun, which Outrun. is obviously based off the Outrun game primarily. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and then uh, I've seen an emergence of what they're calling low poly music, which is like um, drum and bass, jungle, ambient drum and bass, all that sort of side of it, influenced by Wipeout, Ridge Racer. Ape Escape and a bunch of PlayStation One games. So there's like three different genres in in three different categories. Just off the top of my head, that we've seen sort of cropping up. Now I know Nintendo Core and stuff has been bubbling up for a while, but are we going to see like a big push where games actually are like the driving influence that people are inspired by? And like you say, when it comes to chasing nostalgia, people grew up with these sounds. And they were on repeat. That's the only and thing. And they was like, on repeat. Was, like very, very bent into people's brains, certain soundtracks. You know, some people can hear like, like I mean, say on a more recent example, Persona 5 soundtrack, people yeah. hear like two notes and they know exactly what it is. Yeah, it almost places you straight back in to the game. And obviously you hear a lot of streamers use it um, yeah. just to soundtrack their streams. And you just hear it all the time. And it's very iconic but, as well with the... The sort of smooth, not not quite jazz, but just smooth organ based sort of like it's almost like between it's jazz and soul. Yeah, lo-fi, lo-fi basically. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's very interesting to see how how game soundtracks can capture people's imagination. I mean, another really notable one uh, is the Halo soundtrack. Yes, the, Halo the intro, choir, yeah. and then you have the guitar version, obviously. But a lot of people will go back to that as like the single piece of music that they remember from, say, their, their childhood gaming experiences. But it's also also games like GTA where they've they've had a lot of songs synced. People just sit there; they might listen to one of them stations on GTA Four or Five or Vice City or whatever it is, and just have them songs like just ingrained into them. And then they go, "Well, I want to listen to this music more," and and that might be the foundation for certain people's taste essentially yeah 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 the v-rock soundtrack or or the like you said on G- since gta 5 has been out such a long oh, time i wouldn't be surprised if that had completely shaped people's music yeah music taste. yeah music taste um obviously you have games uh like rhythm action games do a lot because obviously you're having to listen to the song you tend to pick your favorite so obviously rock band and guitar hero it was a big driver to get young people into rock music particularly classic rock music yeah, um, I don't know what the correlation is between people who like classic rock and people who played rock band, but I feel like rock band and Guitar Hero both had a massive, massive impact on on that being cool and relevant. Because I suppose a lot of people will have been like at the time, well, you know, if you can't play this song, then you, you know, whatever, you're not good at Guitar Hero. And, you know, when you're in like gaming circles, that starts to become a, well, I know that song and, and everybody just wants to, fit in and know it and be like oh yeah yeah and so i think that's why so many people know classic rock that's you know like i mean to multiply like how how much older the music they're listening to is than themselves it can get 
bizarre because some people might be listening to music that's you know four times older than them do you know what i mean yeah 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 um and obviously you have bands like say dragon force on through the fire and flames really using that as a pivotal career point to get them out there yeah i mean it's if if guitar hero 3 wasn't a thing it makes you wonder if dragon force would have took off yeah now it's a good question i don't know whether they was already taking off and then they got that and it sort of like boomed but you know, it's one of those things that that is basically what a lot of people remember Dragon Force for is Guitar Hero 3 is through the fire in the flames, isn't it? I mean, I would argue that bands like Led Zeppelin, who did not, you know, use that opportunity, you take them sync deal offers. I think they did a lot of damage to their sort of perception of younger generation because obviously if you grew up with Led Zeppelin you're never going to forget who they are but there'll have been plenty of impressionable kids playing guitar and rock band that were never exposed to Led Zeppelin through them games yeah yeah and I think really all you can do is miss out when it comes to stuff like that because the amount of like artists that have just People know exactly who they are. People know, you know, it's not even like, oh, have you heard of them? So, well, of course we've heard of them. There was on Guitar 3. I mean, every song on Guitar 3, I think people know exactly if oh, they've yeah. played it, what, you know, who these bands are for the most part. Yeah, yeah, because you had to read the artist's name, the song, you like, on some of the games, you know, you can read the tempo or whatever, you know, with it, but you have all the stats, basically. They're ready to go. You yeah, read the year it come out. Album cover the album on a lot of cover. them. Yeah, so you know, you know it, you know. You know it as well as a, a, a single in your vinyl collection, basically. Yeah. Um, and there's still, it's amazing that Rock Band, I know Guitar Hero has not, not sustained itself, but Rock Band's still going. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is... Is insane, but like fantastic. I mean, if I I would love to see a rock band five, but whether they can do it, it depends. But I mean, all the backwards compatibility is there. But yeah, I suppose the thing is, is that it's just about accessibility. And when people are scalping the controllers for yeah. like two hundred and fifty quid on eBay, it does make it harder to get into. But that shows the demands there. If people are willing to pay two hundred quid for a, a like a Fender Mustang controller for rock band. Mm-hmm. then clearly the audience is is there. And this also gets into, like, I've noticed a correlation when doing, say, research on low-poly drum and bass. Um, the games that have those soundtracks are worth more than the games that don't on eBay. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah. games that have that slight bit of influence, whether it's popularity or whatever, obviously people want these games still. And that's why you'll see, like, some of the games going for 50 60 quid the same amount as like a brand new playstation 4 playstation 5 game and that's just because obviously people are after them and then people on ebay bid them up and it's like any collector's items you know if they're in good condition people will try and get their money for them and you think yes well you know i remember when ps1 games was all in a one pound bag and bucket bin yeah and it didn't even matter which game it was it was just just any game yeah yeah. i mean i think that was when like the ps2 and the original xbox was out you just saw the ps1 one bin in a shop i think if you're doing retro gaming the best time to buy would be as the cons the next console comes out yeah yeah and when that next console settled that's when you clean up and buy all the games because if you wait any longer they become rare they become damaged and all of a sudden like you say you cannot buy them yeah yeah so it's very interesting to see like obviously you had you have a lot of like cultural movements in the nineties. You have you have like the uh acid drum and bass, 
you have house and techno all sort of vying for like that millennium yeah in garage in the late that that early 2000s sort of millennium breaking thing that you assume with like say the matrix's trailers and and you know like all all this like essentially the umbrella of y2k basically yeah like all those all those genres that are sort of fighting for for this is going to be popular in the next millennium like towards the late 90s so talking like 95 to 2000 and this is the sort of soundtracks that you hear a lot obviously because it was it was not only beginning to be popular music but i think a lot of it is counterculture music as well yes ultimately it's not the pop songs it's the absolutely drilling like tb303 acid tracks that you hear on like tekken you know or, or wipeout it's it's the drum and bass tracks that permeate all the racing games just because of how fast the BPM is. It's more exciting than having a slow... I mean, you can't play a racing game with I ballads mean, on. Even if you think about games like Need for Speed Underground 2, like Skindred, just... I feel like everybody knows that Skindred track. Yeah, yeah. It's like you say, um, some of the songs just stick out because they just end up on the menus and people just you're just exposed to them yeah yeah. and as you say some of them are very counterculture tracks and they're they're just so off the wall and and aggressive but like you said they have to be because on wipeout you've got to go fast so it wouldn't make sense like you say if there was country music playing that maybe makes sense if you're in the mountains on gta but it does not make sense on a futuristic speed racer and, and that's the other thing with the futuristic speed racers in general is that it has to push the envelope and it has to feel like the future and yeah. the thing is is what there wasn't really using cutting edge technology for the most part with say tb303s and 808s and stuff but no. obviously um those instruments came out during the the 80s and then people figured out how to use them in the 90s for a completely different thing because obviously acid and all that isn't they're not they're not using them how they was designed to be used as like, you know, bandmates and buddies, you know, to practice with in I your garage. I think it was more, they go to the like bargain bin section in the local music shop and say, well, I can afford that. What can I do with it? Like, yeah, yeah. can I do anything with it? And people figured out, didn't they? How, yeah. how to make them sound exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the thing that, that really shapes the sound of them genres. I mean, then we some, sometimes say about the technology, like what comes first? Is it the ideas or is it the technology? And I feel like sometimes there's a perfect storm of there's this instrument that, that nobody could adapt and somebody figures out how to do this unique thing with it. And that might be the catalyst for what creates a music genre and what defines a genre. Yeah, a bit like how the sound of Native Instruments Massive just was the sound of like... like dubstep and everything. Dubstep and EDM in the early... Well, the late 2000s, early... 2010 and then literally it becomes like the preset library is just every song yeah, yeah because obviously because people are just figuring out oh my god well these sounds are bizarre yeah so let's just use the sounds and and be you know cool so like it. an example of this is obviously you have say in the 90s you have uh drum and bass um techno garage and uh house all bubbling up emu look at this and their rom player sort of series of rack mounts and say well we can cater to a niche audience who want these sounds but don't necessarily have the equipment to make these sounds so boom you have say the orbit which is just for like Eurodance, trance and all things like basically 90s 90s dance music is that that rack mount then people get the orbit 
and then they make 90s dance music with it because that's what the sound set allows you to do is basically a sample pack in a in a rack mount that is tailor-made for anything or every sound you need to make that music well i suppose like say it back in the day you there was really no such thing as sample packs like you either got a um a memory card that somebody had pre-sampled and pre-loaded for you or you literally bought a 19 inch rack mount synth that that essentially is like a modern sample pack is now but that would have been the equivalent yeah and it's only when they started doing like genre specific ones which not a lot of companies did to be honest but obviously every like say if you look at roland every brand new iteration will have cutting edge sounds in which then also feeds into this yeah it's all about using the latest technology if you have access to it and then obviously if you have a piece of gear before any other uh composer well you can sound you know like futuristic yeah because you have the brand new sort of sounds yeah and that was a lot more prevalent when they literally could create a different type of sound entirely i mean i know they're getting into like physical modeling a lot more now and different synths but a lot of synths that come out now feel more like tribute sounds than brand new engines ultimately it's technology like the binaural engine that um the udo super six has and stuff like that that is more the defining characteristics i mean technology wise like you say apart from physical modeling which again doesn't physical modeling doesn't sound futuristic it sounds realistic so whereas back at back in the day fm and subtractive synthesizers when they started pushing them they sounded very alien because they're not they're not really familiar. off this world yeah and also they're not familiar and you've not heard anything like it you know because if you've been listening to like juno's and stuff then the yamaha's like here's a dx7 everybody goes i've never heard anything that sounds like glassy or yeah, digital yeah. in that manner because everybody's been listening to warm analog synths for for decades you know even if it's only two decades <laughs> yeah but, um that's the thing and obviously this is where you get into like like we say you have music that inspires technology and then technology inspires the next lot of music yeah and it's almost like leapfrogging essentially yeah um and that's sort of what you see happening with a lot of these genres obviously now it's great because if you want to make like 90s dance music you can just buy a 90s box yeah or a 90s sample pack or a 90s sample pack or or 90s um like inspired plugin which they're is a plethora of all of these things. So you can just choose the one that fits. I mean, I do think a piece of hardware, if you're, say, you're doing low poly stuff, a piece of hardware is probably going to feel more inspiring because that goes with the aesthetic. But if you're doing dubstep, you're not going to, even if there's a great hardware machine, you're probably going to prefer to just use like Serum or something because that's that's where the genre comes from. So yeah, I yeah. think it's all about authenticity and, you know, there's there's opposite examples like the midnight making unbelievably fantastic synthwave all in the box, yeah, and then yeah. there'll be people like Aphex Twin making unbelievably experimental electronic mostly in hardware, and so it it's it's like it can go either way. It doesn't necessarily define the sound, but I think it can be a catalyst for getting people 
into certain sounds and 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 for inspiring you I, I know some people find a computer very restrictive but some people also find the computers the workflow so when they have to leave ableton or whatever door they're using and look at a box with a sequencer they don't understand that's the thing that stops them so it's, it's all about preference really preference yeah. and workflow and what you prefer do you prefer to be drawing it in on a mouse and and sort of having a computer there so you can work quickly or, I mean, I suppose this is where people have a go-to piece of hardware where they can do something very technically complicated very quickly on a piece of hardware that they wouldn't be able to do on the computer, yeah. you know. It's all about knowing your equipment and being comfortable with your equipment because unless you want to just sit there and experiment and be, like, capturing stuff and figuring something out, if, you, if you're, say on the clock you've got to punch in right i've got three hours in the studio i've got to make a beat yeah then this is not the right conversation this is like a, you're going to experiment and um you know you have to figure some stuff out sometimes you know sometimes it can be productive just to learn how to use a piece of equipment that somebody might have either bought you or you've bought yourself and you thought oh well it's sat in a drawer and i'm never going to use it it's like well maybe just pick one afternoon and try and figure out how to use it even if it's how to use it your way because you'll get a lot more out of it yeah literally. And, and also i feel like in in the modern age of doll recording um anything you can have that people don't have is almost like a leg up in a way yeah because i think if you're i mean there's always this argument of never using like the entire stock library for any door because in theory anybody who has that door has that library but obviously it's all about what you do with it like yeah. you're you can do whatever you want with it and you know if you're creative you can make something that nobody else has ever made but obviously there's the the other argument is if you have things that other people don't have nobody can make what you can make with those things isn't yeah. it and even if you're using something like vital which is a free uh wavetable synthesizer i mean that that software is so powerful if you was organized you could make nearly anything with it because you can start sampling oscillators and building virtual recreations i mean you could just download a pack that has a bunch of juno oscillators in load it into vital and then build a library of juno sounds and vice versa i mean i think there's actually some juno sounds in the stock wavetable library on vital but as you say it's it's how can you get your production somewhere where somebody else might struggle to get that far because like you say you don't want to nobody wants to sound like somebody can literally just make the thing you made in like half an hour if they know how to do it because there's something like soul crushing about that about slavery away at a production and somebody being like yeah that's like the second patch on massive yeah because you know like if you ever got really successful with a song like that you'd have like Ableton YouTubers going, well, I'll show you how to make his track in 15 minutes because it's all made on Ableton. Well, that's what people do with Daft Punk now, isn't it? They're like, well, Daft Punk sampled these five songs, so boom, 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 look, it's face to face. But you're like, yeah, but Daft Punk didn't have Ableton when they made it. You know, it's... Yeah, they had to do <laughs> the, it all in different yeah. technology, different and it, means. It, that it, at itself, in that time, was revolutionary that they could even sequence it in a way that made sense. So, and that's the other thing with technology. Now, as it gets better what you can do is crazier and crazier, but it also means these like legendary artists, you can mimic them in like 10 seconds if you know what you're doing. Yeah, it's like the tape loop, like as a concept, you know, yeah, yeah. you don't, you can just like put your locators on control D, tape yeah. loop. Easy. You don't need like a, a room full of Brian Eno tapes on, on microphone stands 
threading round the room for half an hour, you can just be like, control alt. Yeah. D, you know, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. yeah, control D or whatever. Yeah, whatever it is. We all know what it is. Control D. Um, so, to spin this conversation back around again, we're seeing like low poly music yeah. rising up in artists like Pizza Hotline. Yeah. Major axes I particularly like as well. I think I definitely think Pizza Hotline is like the guy who is creating like the he's the one doing the mixes on YouTube. He's the one sort of making this into a thing, basically. So it's about can 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 there be some momentum? Is is there going to be a group of artists come up with him and yeah, define yeah. a scene? Yeah, because that's ultimate. That's the problem with scenes: is that somebody can have a great idea of a of a music scene, but if if people don't come with them, essentially, it's hard because you feel like, well, I don't want to rip Pizza Hotline off, but it's like, yeah, but in order for that to become a scene, then people have to sort of go, even if they're not, they don't have to rip him off, but they have to sort of join in yeah, otherwise yeah. it it's just one artist but doing your something. own spin on it i suppose is yeah, one of yeah. those things but i mean obviously with super shy by new jeans you're hearing that exact sound set yes in like a very popular song that is like in the global top 10 if you mute the vocals on new jeans, it is just low, low poly, low poly ambient drum and bass, really. It's, yeah. That's all it is. Like, obviously, low poly is a buzzword. That's like, it's basically your your descriptor in, in the way it is. It's just ambient tra- drum and bass, technically, is what it is. And then, obviously, low poly is as much of a like thing that you can lean into as it is a visual style, a bit like with synthwave. It's just something to characterize something in a way that's interesting and that invites artists to join in i feel like that's yeah. ultimately that's why you create or, or why people manufacture these words because they're sort of incentivizing people to join in to create a scene yeah. you know otherwise you'd just be like well i'm this guy or, or i'm this person and i just do my own thing and that's what that's what experimental artists do but when when people are saying this is a genre this is a thing you are inviting, you know, people the, to join in. The other thing that, say, like, New Gene shows you is it shows you that this Y2K sort of undercurrent that people have been sort of, like, leaning into saying, yeah, well, this is coming back, this is coming back. They're like, oh, well, it's back. It is back, yeah, yeah. There's you a difference I mean? between it's coming and it's in the charts. From, so yeah, from yeah. like, the Pixel Powerpuff Girl ripoffs on the, al- uh, on the album cover to the full sound, all the sound design, they're sort of hitting, like... It's the entire package, isn't it? It's yeah, the, they're, it's the they're design. hitting multiple genres that we talked about being in, like, the 90s earlier on. And then sort of they're bringing it modern and then they're stripping it back so it sounds old at the same time. But interestingly, when we talk, like you said, the New Jeans album, it's not just drum and bass. It's It's got a bit of garage influence, yeah, a bit yeah. of house influence yeah. and a lot. Is, is there going to be an opportunity for all of the different electronic subgenres of the early 2000s and late 90s to somehow be rolled into one genre? Like we've seen... Obviously, people keep saying genre isn't as much of a thing. And we've seen like could, Dimension sort of putting trance and, um, drum, and, bass and drum and bass together. So is there like an opportunity where there could be a genre that actually encompasses several subgenres of electronic and, and it's acceptable to make, as you say, maybe low poly and low poly could be drum and bass or house or whatever, but it encompasses the same or a set of rules that create it to be low poly, but it's not flexible. It's not 
unflexible, like say something like drum and bass, where there's a there's an expectation when you make drum and bass of it's got to be this sort of tempo. It's got to have like a two step beat mm. and mm. some breaks a lot of the time. I think this is all about classification. This is about, is a bunch of journalists going to call anything a name anytime soon? Or are we just going to suffer to not having like bubbles of popular trends that people can jump on? Yeah. That's basically, basically it. Or you know. is, is it going to be a couple of one-off cases that don't actually accumulate to anything? Or are people going to say, you know, like like we saw with things like Slap House or Tropical House or um, the sort of new seen in drum and bass yeah like jump up and stuff are people gonna latch on to low poly style music and say well i grew up playing wipeout i want to get in on this you know are we gonna see bigger act a bigger acts a bit like new jeans yeah sort of re-harnessing that like y2k um 90s sort of dance sort of vibes which is already coming back via house and you're hearing orchestral stabs you know it's there it's there in the undercurrents if you're listening out for if you know what to listen to all those sound sets are slowly coming back in obviously tb 303s and 808s never went out of fashion yeah so um it's there to be had but you let us know in the comments whether we're talking a load of rubbish or not but I think it's been quite an interesting discussion. What do you think, Peter? I think that the idea of, like, obviously Synthwave is a precursor to this. It's just taking, and, and this is not a new thing at all. There is a cycle. We all know that there's a cycle to music where it repeats. Yeah. Like in the 2000s, people were rehashing 60s and 70s music. That's just a fact. When you actually look back, it yeah, becomes yeah. very obvious, whereas at the time it might not have been as obvious if you were younger and you didn't realise. You, you you have to be an encyclopedia to know where people are pulling all of these ideas from. Yeah, yeah. So I think that it's practically guaranteed that we will see like these old game soundtracks infiltrate pop music, but it's the weight of how much it matters that I suppose the question is, you know, with New Jeans, does does that music just serve as a sound bed or is it part of that that group's identity that's the question really yeah, yeah. and that that's up to them and how their career actually progresses and i suppose that's really it's dependent on if artists make that a cornerstone of their sound or if artists say this is the flavor of the month this is this era and then we're going to move on to the next thing yeah. So that's our thoughts on game music and low poly music and the question of how new acts and bigger acts will adapt it. So let us know what you think in the comments below. And thanks for listening. I've been Peter. And I've been Mark. See you next week. <laughs>